the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today as we continue our study in the book of 2 Samuel, old hatred runs deep. The king of Ammon picks a fight with Israel, but God defends them. We'll pick it up in 2 Samuel chapter 10 verse 12. Once again that's 2 Samuel chapter 10 verse 12. I want to tell you about a famous missionary named William Carey. William Carey was a young cobbler in England during the late 1700s. He started studying his Bible, and he became convinced that the heart of God was to reach the lost. However, his church taught a very popular view back then. His church taught that the Great Commission was only for the disciples. It didn't apply to us. It was just for the Twelve. Undaunted, Carey presented his thoughts from Scripture at a church meeting. The minister told Carey, and this is an exact quote, "'Sit down, young man.'" If God wants to save the heathen, he will do it himself. Carrie and his wife eventually sailed to India, and because there were no missionary organizations back then, because the church didn't think that, that was what we were all called to do. He took a job at an indigo factory and began passing out tracts and sharing his faith. William Carey eventually became one of the greatest missionaries in church history. At one point, when things were really hard, someone asked him and said, well, what keeps you going? You know, how, how do you keep doing this? And he said this, I can plod, I can persevere in any definite pursuit. To this I owe everything. Interesting. It's not that Carey said, oh, I did it all. That's not his point. If you know anything about him and you read his writings and what he accomplished, he gave all the glory to God. He trusted in God for the strength, all those things. But when he was asked, you know, how do you, how do you keep doing this? He said, what can I do? I can plod through this difficult thing. Is the going tough? Is it sticky and hard? And it seems like I'm sinking at times. Yeah, but I can keep putting one foot in front of the other. I can persevere through anything. If I have a definite purpose, I have a goal in mind, I can, I can just keep walking. To this, he says, that's how I've accomplished what I did. Carrie did what Joab told his men to do here. Be of a strong courage. Play the part of a man. Fulfill your responsibility. We have a part to play. And in that part, God commands us to give it our all. Being a Christian doesn't mean doing nothing because God is sovereign. Being lazy in our service to God because we are so very small and so very weak is not the right response to our weakness. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, it tells us very clearly, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. It doesn't say it's an option. Paul says, let a man so account of us as of the ministers, the servants of Christ, and stewards of the mystery of God. If you have a server and his mindset is at a restaurant and you're sitting there and you're waiting to give your order, or waiting for your food, and, and if the server came up to you and said, listen, my boss is a really good boss. And because he's a really awesome boss and he can do anything and he makes the best dishes and he can, he can lead better than anybody else and he's, he's just got all the resources at his disposal, because of that, you probably won't see me very much tonight. Would you be happy with that? No. We're servants in the house of the Lord. We have responsibilities that he's given to us. And so moreover, Paul says, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful, trustworthy, reliable, dependable. I don't consider someone to be dependable. I, I give this lecture to all of my kids at some point in time. And I say, listen, if you want to find success in life, you're going to have to be someone others can trust. You're going to have to cultivate an attitude of hard work, of dependability, and trustworthiness. In life, I've had some experience. I realize there are some of you older, had a lot more experience than I do. But in the experience I have had, which is considerable, I have found it is way better to go with the person that I can count on than the person that is really good at something. That's just the lesson I've learned. There are times, I remember one of my bosses told me, we had this, like, like you know, all these pre-interviews and stuff that we'd go through, and so they're going through all these stages of interviews, and, and I'm like, man, this guy is a, like, a, like a knockout. Like, I mean, you know, this is awesome. You know, I mean, he's just incredible. And my boss looked at me, and he goes, yeah, and why is he here and not somewhere else? Why does he have all these, he can't seem to hold down a job longer than a year? Okay, found out later, hired him, and Found later, though, he, he had a dependability issue. He had a, a substance abuse problem. And so, yeah, he interviewed great. He was incredible in, as far as the job requirements for meeting the skill set that was necessary for the position. But he would just have days he wouldn't even show up. No call, nothing. He just wouldn't be there. And so I've learned. I'll take the person who's plotting faithfully over the person who's, man, they're the latest thing since whatever. And I think when we look at what the scriptures have to say, that God's looking for that as well. When we sing that song, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe, I don't think that laziness, you know, or just kind of eat the popcorn and say, well, God's got this, is, is the mentality of what we're saying when we say all to him I owe. In Colossians 3.23, we read before that in Colossians, where it talks about put off these things, put on these things. Whatsoever you do, do it for the glory of God. Well, you read down to Colossians 3.23 and it says, and whatsoever you do, do it with all your heart unto the Lord. All your heart. I mean, you know, when I think of this speech that Joab's giving to the soldiers, that's kind of the meaning there, right? Like He's not looking over at Bob. I, Bob, I just kind of put your shield up every once in a while so, you know, Ted doesn't get hit. I mean, I know he's really good and, and God's got this, but just every once in a while, put your shield up. No, he's looking at me. He's like, guys. We're doing this for our families. We're doing this for the cities of our God. Do this with your whole heart. We got to be committed to this. We got a responsibility here. 2 Timothy 2.15, Paul tells 
this young protege, this young pastor, he says, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. In other words, there's an effort that we can put out that we would be ashamed of our efforts, right? Anybody ever done that for the Lord? I've, I've done that right here sometimes. I come and I think, Lord, I, I could have been better prepared. I could have spent more time praying about this instead of just studying about it. There's lots of times that I've looked back and I thought, Lord, I, I, I know I could have done better. There are many times in our lives when we we're tempted to quit something, quit our marriage, you know, or quit on our kids, ministry, whatever, you know, life, you know, a relationship. And then we just say, it's not working or I keep messing up. I'll just, you know, give up. I'll tell you something my wife always told me in those moments when I wanted to give up when it concerned the ministry. She said this, she said, well, can you tell me in total honesty that you've given it your best shot? And there's probably been four or five times when she's asked me that question. Then she knew I didn't need to answer the question to her because we both knew the answer to the question. No. Well, how about we don't give up until we can say we gave it our best shot, right? Because then you can finally say, well, maybe, Lord, we're fighting you instead of just maybe not giving it our all. I don't ever want to be somebody that walks away from something or quits on something, gives up on a relationship because... And then later on, you know, the Lord's kind of like going, well, I could have done more if you'd just been willing to give it your all. 1 Corinthians 9.24, Paul uses heavy language when he says, do you not know that they which run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Paul was not into participation trophies, by the way. And neither were they back then. He's bringing up a point, an illustration from life. What Paul's saying is, is there's an illustration in life, okay? Everybody runs, and they all run to win because only one gets the prize. So Paul says, run to win. Run to win. They do it for a, a laurel reef that's going to be, you know, crumbling into bits in, you know, a few months, a few weeks maybe even. We do it for an incorruptible crown. Run to win. Because what we do matters. I don't care what your theological system says. What we do matters. And it has an impact both on now and on eternity. To take any other approach is an unbiblical view of our responsibility. Now, am I being faithful? Am I being a faithful steward with the responsibilities that God has given to me? We all have different ones. I don't have the same responsibilities you do. But are you being faithful with the responsibilities that God has given to you? Are you giving it your best? If you're not, you cannot blame the Lord because things aren't going well. And that is frequently the reaction that I will see, you know, and well, God just, you know, he wasn't, he, he, he wouldn't come through in our marriage. And I, you think in this situation, you go, well, I know you haven't given it your all. Well, God, he just didn't come through. And I stepped out in faith and I did, went to do this ministry and, and I would ask the question, you know, well, can you say you're giving it your all? It's easy to blame the Lord rather than to look here and to say, Lord, what can I do better? Now, 
That's one foundational truth we find in Scripture. There is another foundational truth of Scripture, God's will. Because while we give our best, the outcome is always up to the Lord. And that's what Joab mentions to the men next. Back here in 2 Samuel chapter 10, he says, But guys, do your part. (laughs) And then he says this, And the Lord do that which seems him good. The thing that is pleasing in his eyes. Here's the truth. Even when we do our best, there are multiple factors that we cannot see, cannot plan for, and cannot act on, which means our best will never be good enough on its own. And sometimes our best may be moving in a direction that's not in line with what God wants to do, even if our motive is good. So while we give it our all, while we do our best, We have to commit all the other variables to the Lord. We have to commit to him that if it's not the right step, then we say, Lord, guide me back to where I'm supposed to be. And I love that about the Lord. The Lord doesn't smack us upside the head and say, why are you going that way, stupid? No, he says, hey, I'm not over there. I'm over here, right? I'm over here. Even in those moments where you see the disciples say some of the most absurd things in the whole world, like one of my absolute favorites, they, they come into this Samaritan town and Jesus sends the disciples, hey, find a place for us to stay. They go inside and they don't say, we don't want anything to do with you because you're Jews. And so they come back out and say, Jesus, they say they're not going to take us in. Hey, uh, you want us to call down fire in heaven, burn them all up? Jesus, he's so nice. He's like, what are you thinking? No, I'm not saying, what are you thinking? I'm like, you're fired. You don't get to be a disciple anymore. You're not an apostle. You're a D or an F apostle. You have failed, all right? You clearly have not been listening for the last three years. You have failed. I'm starting over, all right? I love what, uh, I think it was uh, the pastor reached Jacksonville. He was preaching at our, our yearly pastor's conference, and he was bringing up this idea of lessons that we teach our kids. Do, do we go and run over the old lady who's with the, she's got a cane and she's trying to pay for her groceries because you want to go get the bubble machine. Do we do that? No, no, we don't. It's kind of like this with Jesus. Do we burn down entire towns because they don't let us come in? No, no, we don't. No, we don't do that, Jesus. You're right. We don't do that. No. I mean, that, but that's how Jesus deals with it. Even in those moments where it's the most absurd thing, like what solution should we come up with? Let's just burn it all down, kill everybody. Men, women, children, animals, don't, doesn't matter to me. And Jesus, even in that moment, he teaches them, right? He teaches them. You don't even, you don't realize where that's coming from. You don't understand where, where that idea has come from. You're totally off from where I'm at. He always tries to course correct us, even when we're, we're doing something bizarre. Because he loves us. So we need to have that mindset that says, Lord, hey, I think this is where you're leading me, and I'm going to give it my all and step out in faith. But Lord, if it's not you, then just redirect me so I can give it my all where I'm supposed to give it my all. And that's what he's saying here. The battle is the Lord's. We're going to give it our all, but the Lord do what's pleasing in his eyes. Lord, I'm giving my all, but I know my all is very weak. So please make up for my weakness with your unlimited wisdom and strength and your grace. There will be times in your Christian life that you will see a command of God, but be very aware of your inability to make it happen. To that, the Lord says, obey me with all your heart, all your mind, and all your strength, 
and trust me to take care of all the details. That's what Joab is presenting to his soldiers here. And it's what God presents to us all throughout Scripture. Listen, relying on your own strength to achieve the desired outcome of obedience, doing it your all that way is a fast track to failure. But looking to his strength and his direction as I lay down my life, give it my all to do what he says, that can't fail even if I'm not hearing him perfectly because he'll redirect that energy where it's supposed to be. In Proverbs 3, 5, 6, says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. But in all your ways, that's an important thing. In all your ways, in all the paths you're going. In other words, it's not a standing still moment. Trusting the Lord with all your heart is not a standing still moment unless God is telling you to stand still. Unless the way that you're supposed to go is stand still. In all your ways, whatever road you're going down, he'll straighten it out. He will make it straight. He's going to make it flat. He's going to show you where to go. If there's an obstacle here and it's because you're not supposed to be over there, then he'll redirect you where there's not the obstacle. He'll put your feet where they're supposed to be. Well, how does this turn out for Joab and the Israeli soldiers? Verse 13. Joab drew near and the people that were with him unto the battle against the Syrians and they fled before him. And when the children of Ammon saw that the Syrians were fled, then they fled also before Abishai and entered into the city. So Joab returned from the children of Ammon and came to Jerusalem. Uh, These guys had already been whooped by Israel once. And so when the battle even just began to start going poorly for them, This was not the kind of fight they signed up for. They were supposed to either be the ones to hold the line while the Ammonites smashed in from the rear, or they were supposed to be the ones smashing the Israelites in the rear. They did not sign up for no matter how much money they were paid to die to the last man. And so they flee pretty early into the battle, which means a lot of wasted money for the Ammonites. They just run right back into their city. And the Bible tells us that they decide to settle for holding out in a siege. But Joab doesn't lay siege to the city of Rabbah. He returns to Jerusalem because, as we see here, the problem is much bigger than just the Ammonites. Four other vassal states to the north are part of this rebellion, even if they're just mercenaries. And Joab has no intention of putting a second force at his back again. So before they can deal with the Ammonites, they need to deal with the Syrians. So verse 15. And when the Syrians saw that they were smitten and routed before Israel, they gathered themselves together. The word there, gathered, it means to make an alliance. So they made an alliance with one another. Instead of just sending few forces from each of them, they all banded together and made this alliance to all fight against David. And it says with Hadar Ezer as their head. Verse 16, and Hadar Ezer sent and brought out the Syrians that were beyond the river. Remember when we saw him a couple of weeks ago, he was trying to take land back by the river. So apparently since he couldn't get that and David kept him from doing that, he went across the river and he conquered territory in Mesopotamia and he had troops there. And so he calls back everything. He calls back all the troops that were beyond the river. And so they came to the city of Helam. Helam is actually not a city, I'm sorry. It's a region that's far to the east of the Sea of Galilee. It's on the highlands of Bashan, really far away from Israel. It's a weird spot for David to to fight this battle, but this is where they camp, and likely because they're going to invade Israel from the north on the other side of Jordan, where Israel was more spread out. It also mentions here this guy Shobak. He was the captain of the army that went out before King Hadarezer. He's mentioned here because of what will happen later on in the battle, verse 17. And when it was told David, he gathered all Israel together. So now this time, David 
He doesn't just send Joab. David comes out. And then David doesn't just send the trained troops. He brings everybody who can hold a weapon out to this one. This is going to be a big fight. And he comes out personally to lead the troops. And so it says they passed over Jordan. So they crossed over the river and came to Helam, this region way to the east of Sea of Galilee. And the Syrians, they put their soldiers in the battle array against David right there, and they fought. The two armies fought. Verse 18, the Syrians fled before Israel, and David slew the men of 700 chariots. So these charioteers, he he killed 700 of them, of the Syrians, and 40,000 cavalrymen. And he also smote Shobak, the captain of their host, who died there. Now, it's possible that David's the one who killed all these. I mean, he's just killing people left and right. That's probably not, what, not what's going on here. But they, it's worded this way because it is likely that David killed this guy Shobak himself. And that's why he's mentioned earlier. So David's the one who kills the enemy general. Uh, David, in this instance, he did not lead from the rear like before when he sent Joab out. He took on the hardest obstacle on the battlefield himself and won the day. And so with this victory, the rebellion is put down. Verse 19 and when all the kings that were servants to Hadarezer saw that they were smitten before Israel, they made peace with Israel. They signed a treaty with Israel, and they served them. So they returned to their vassal state status, paying tribute and pledging their loyalty to David. Verse 19, so the Syrians feared to help the children of Ammon anymore, which basically means, Ammon, you're on your own from now on. You've picked this fight with David. You're going to have to deal with it. You're going to answer for your actions alone. Now, the reason it mentions this, that they didn't help the children of Ammon anymore, is because the story is not over. And the Bible doesn't put all this stuff here just so we can go, oh, cool, battles. The Bible puts this chapter here so we can learn a little bit about what Joab said, a lesson from the heart, right? But it also puts it here because it's going to set the stage for a prideful moment in David's life. Because just as David didn't go out to fight the Ammonites the first time and just sent Joab, and it almost ended badly because they got pincered. David assumes the Ammonites by themselves, Joab can handle this, and he doesn't come again, which is why David's on a roof admiring a woman while she bathes, a place he should... The roof is fine. The people are, what's David doing up on his roof, peeping Tom? You have to understand, that's just how they lived back then. The roof was the place you hung out. Like if you had like a porch you know, where you hang out, read a book, whatever, that's the roof back then. That's how they did it. It's the coolest place in the house. It's where you hung out when you were just chilling. A lot of times, multiple people would hang out up there. And to be frank, just bathing and, and all sorts of other activities that we would consider incredibly private were nowhere near as private back then as they are today. So, The idea is, it's not so much where David is on a roof or where Bathsheba's bathing. The idea is, David should be over fighting the Ammonites. And so in this prideful moment, it gives the opportunity for an enemy to attack David. And so what we find here in this chapter, this is one of those few moments where Joab is being more spiritual than David. There's only like three or four of them in the Bible. But they're all important. You see... Joab understands the battle belongs to the Lord, but he also gives his best and urges his men to do the same. David did not. David's not even present. And so let's be those who stay humble. We don't take anything for granted. No, I can handle this on my own. And then let's hold nothing back. Let's commit everything 
in our being to say, Lord, if this is what you want me to do, you know, whether it's being a, a husband, a wife, dad, mom, a Christian witness, faithful worker in our, in, our, you know, in our job environment, faithful part of our community, faithfully serving the Lord, whatever it is God's called us to do with our responsibilities, let's be those who say, Lord, I'm all in. I'm all in. I'm all in on my marriage. I'm all in on my, you know, my kids. I'm all in on, on this you know, mission field you've given to me in my job environment, in my community. I'm all in on encouraging my brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. Let's be those who do that. And then let's commit everything else to the Lord. And say, Lord, there are things I don't know about, things I can't control, but Lord, I know I can give it my all. Amen? Oh, Lord, I know that sometimes it seems like there are these two ideas of human responsibility and, Lord, the fact that you're just God, you're sovereign, Lord. Sometimes they seem to be in opposition, but Lord, we recognize the Bible holds both truths equally. Lord, you are totally sovereign. Everything is according to your will in the sense, Lord, that you're in charge and that, Lord, if you don't want it that way, then it's not going to go that way. But Lord, we also understand that you call us to obedience and, Lord, that our actions do matter. You're desiring to work in our hearts, to conform us to your image, and, and you had invited us to be partakers of the divine nature. You've invited us into this partnership. And you call us, Lord, to present our bodies as living sacrifices. You, you call us to be obedient, to put off the old man, put on the new man. These are things that we do do. And so, Lord, with our hearts, we commit it to you, Lord. We want to give you everything in regards to whatever it is that you've given us responsibility for. We want to be found faithful stewards of what you've entrusted to us. Lord, we are very weak. We pray that you fill us with your spirit, that we might be able to do them. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at 407-523-0800 during our office hours, Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.